0: Welcome to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we explore the local arts culture in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll explore all types of mediums with a goal of enriching local culture.
1: Welcome back to Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. I'm Elise. And I'm Ben. Thank you so much for tuning in.
0: Yeah. Guys, last week we had, well, I guess it wouldn't be last week at this point. It was just like four or five days ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we had awesome open house and thank you to everyone from the podcast, listeners and even past guests that (laughs) came I mean, it was there was such a great turnout, and it was so awesome to see all of you.
1: It was awesome, and and, and guests invited their friends and told other people about it. We had a great crowd in here. Um, You can maybe find some pictures on Instagram of some of the photos we took in the (laughs) studio uh, while everyone was hanging out, but we seriously, seriously appreciate the support. This show wouldn't exist without you guys, and it was just so fun to have everyone Mm -hmm. here together hanging out, and we appreciate your support immensely
0: yes yes we do yeah i mean I, I couldn't have asked for a better evening it was so much fun yeah and just
1: yeah. just to clarify the open house was for steel pixel studios <laughs> yes where yes, we that's <laughs> true. we had our
0: official grand opening that day mm-hmm. our public facing we've been operating for the past few months doing some stuff to get by but we are officially open now as a studio rental facility for both podcasting and video Mm -hmm. so that was our kickoff
1: we tag steel pixel in every one of our posts so if you're interested in their services you can find them through our instagram
0: yeah definitely um and if you want to hire us for something that's not studio related send us a message we'd be happy to work with you They
1: were super chill about this awesome podcast project. So it seems like there's a lot of room for creativity and innovation with other projects as well. So
0: definitely, definitely Um, speaking as one of the owners of Steel Pixel Studios, our heart is in uplifting local artists and giving people a voice that may not otherwise have a chance. So we are priced in a way that makes it more affordable for people to come in and use. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah. just let us know we'd love to work with you
1: speaking as someone who records here uh on the regular uh you guys are awesome the space is awesome very no, accommodating think, yeah. very comfortable so i can't say enough good things about it but thank you come down and check them out
0: well this week we have yet another first on the podcast mm-hmm. we have our first ceramicist and that is rachel schaefer would you like to read her bio?
1: Absolutely. Born and raised in the Lehigh Valley, Rachel graduated from Catasauqua High School and attended Kutztown University with the intention of majoring in the Russian language, but left with an unfinished major in journalism. She bought her first handmade coffee cup in 2012 and began a journey a few years later to learn the process of ceramics for herself. Inspired by the Lehigh Valley's growing arts communities, new small businesses, and the valley's ability to reinvent itself to keep growing, Rachel officially began her pottery business in 2018 and hasn't looked back since.
0: Rachel, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you for having me here today.
0: Yeah, of course. We're very excited. We have not had a ceramicist on the show yet.
2: I am very excited that I'm your first ceramicist. Nice. (laughs) Do you like that? that phrase ceramicist or ceramics
1: artist or
2: I actually call myself a potter okay, okay. there's no real big difference usually potter is functional like mugs and dishes mm-hmm. and ceramics will usually be like people who do non-functional but does oh, not matter wow, that makes sense yeah. okay
0: yeah I noticed that a lot of your pieces were incredibly functional and I was gonna ask if part of your draw to working in this medium was the functionality itself.
2: It definitely is. Um, I love art you can use, and I think it adds something to your day. Yeah. I used to collect, you know, handmade coffee mugs, and I just like pouring coffee into whatever somebody used as a canvas.
0: Definitely. That's super cool.
2: That's funny. I think
1: um, so – I was fortunate enough to actually take a couple of your <laughs> <laughs> hand building ceramics classes. And it's funny because I don't use the mugs that I made because I, I feel very protective over them. Um, like I don't want to break them. <laughs> so I use them as pencil cups or to hold, I have a plant in one. Um, and that's, that's a cool differentiation is that like, you can use this artwork. It's not meant to sit and, be untouched. It definitely has a a level of functionality to it, which is very cool.
2: Yeah, definitely. And your stuff was really cool. Oh, thanks. (laughs) That means a lot. Thank you. No, really. (laughs) I'm not playing favorites, but your stuff was some of my favorite student work. Oh, my goodness. Thank you. I didn't bring that up just for you to say that. <laughs> you didn't have to say
1: that, but thank you. Come on, you knew that Mothman was good.
2: <laughs> yes, oh, I
1: am drawn to the the cryptids, and I do I do like that. Uh, in the ceramics medium, turned out really cool. Um, but yeah, that was that was a cool conversation that I had with you was. Your, a lot of your work is rooted in imaginative and caric- caricatures. And the, even the one that you sent in for today is a monster creation.
2: So where, where does the inspiration for that come from? You know, I've always really liked monsters. And I always felt really connected to the things I used to drink coffee out of. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a really big mug collector. And I noticed eventually you get attached to a mug. Sometimes you talk to it and you feel sad when it breaks, right? You're like, oh no, my mug broke. And then I kind of morphed that together. So I started putting faces on my mugs. And I'm not the first person to do that. That is ancient art stuff. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I look at it. And if your mug smiles back at you in the morning, it just makes you feel good, right? <laughs> so I guess it just comes from, you know, I like Dr. Seuss. I like um, where the wild things are. I love robots. I love monsters, so I just decided to combine Mm -hmm. those two things. Very nice. That's funny.
1: I actually, when I was writing the description for your work earlier today, I was thinking of where the wild things are because the the face of the monster very much reminds me of that. So, very nice.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I, I saw on your Instagram that you did a post about glazing. Yes. And your love of layered glazing and how it relates to... And reminds you of space and galaxies and other worlds. I'm curious whether your love of monsters or other worlds came first.
2: I would say monsters. Yeah. So one of my favorite movies as a kid was Labyrinth. Okay. With David Bowie. So oh, yeah. So <laughs> love Jim Henson. Um, but the glazing you know, is really part of that, too, Mm. because it's texture. Yeah. You know, if you look at a lot of these artists I've mentioned, it's not just characters, it's texture. So I think that really combines. But it's very difficult to put the monsters with the layered glazing Mm. into one piece. So I separate them a little bit. That's cool. Yeah.
0: Do you ever pair them together at all? Like you'll make one for a, a landscape or environment and then another one? As the monster itself,
2: sometimes, yeah, maybe that's work that hasn't come out yet. <laughs> mm. Maybe you're reading my mind a little oh, bit. Oh man!
0: Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> so, being our our first Potter or yes. ceramicist, um, tell us a little bit about your process. So, we usually yeah. get into creative process, but explain a little bit, um, like start mm-hmm. to finish. How do you how do you make a mug? All right, strap in.
2: All right, so. You can either mix your own clay or purchase premixed clay. I purchase premixed clay, so it comes in a 25-pound bag, and usually I'll order about 500 to 1,000 pounds of clay at a time. Oh wow! So the process doesn't just begin with making something. The process begins with ordering 1,000 pounds of clay and then <laughs> picking it up down at the ceramic shop in Norristown. Okay. So. I go down there with whoever got suckered into helping me that day. (laughs) We load 50-pound boxes of clay into the vehicle, and then the vehicle drags itself back home. Um, I carry it up to my studio. I unload everything. And then I take the clay when I'm ready. I open a 25-pound bag, and I use a scale to measure out blocks of clay that are about a pound and three quarters. So I use a kitchen scale for that. Mm -hmm and then you wedge up the balls of clay. You know, wedging is the process where you kind of knead the clay into a ball to get rid of any air bubbles or inconsistencies. Okay. So then I prepare my wheel, I get my tools and my water and all my clay. I usually throw about 50 pounds of clay at a time and that yields however many mugs it yields. Mm -hmm. So you take a ball of clay, you put it on the pottery wheel and you go through the process of shaping it on the wheel. You cut it off the wheel and then I prefer to turn it upside down on the rim. You put plastic over it and you let it sit there for about three, four, five days. And it gets what is known as leather hard where it's not soft anymore, but it's not dried out. Okay. So now it's flexible and carvable. And that's when I begin uh, the trimming process. So you put it back on the wheel upside down you recenter it, so you stick it back in the middle.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You attach it back to the wheel with some damp clay so it sticks. Turn the wheel on, and you use tools to shape the bottom kind of like wood turning.
3: Okay. Okay,
2: hmm. so you throw it, let it sit for a few days, put it back on the wheel, and trim it. Mm-hmm. At this point, you can decorate it. So, usually, if I'm doing like a monster or something fancy, I'll carve it, I'll add sculptural elements. Mm-hmm. This can take anywhere from 20 minutes to five hours. Um, those monster mugs from start to finish take about 12 hours. Wow. So it's very long. Um, and then after it's all sculpted, you add a handle. Mm. You have to let it dry out for a couple days until it is called bone dry. There's no moisture. It goes into the kiln for the first firing. So it's called a bisque firing. And then it comes out. And it's still sort of fragile, but you can touch it, you can glaze it. So then I glaze it, and it goes back into the kiln again after that for the glaze firing. Mm -hmm. And the first bisque firing, I do a 24-hour fire just in case. Mm -hmm. And then the second firing takes about 12 to 14 hours. Okay, So that's the process. So...
1: With being a fairly fragile medium, is there a lot of room for error in that process? Yes.
2: So it's so funny because you were telling me earlier, you're like afraid to use the pieces you made with me. Mm. Pottery is the art of loss. You cannot get attached to anything until it is out of the kiln and in the customer's home. Mm. And I say that because... When I say we have a lot of loss, I'm talking I have had thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars worth of loss. Sometimes the entire batch comes out bad. Sometimes you drop a box on the way to a car to the show. People fall into your table at shows. It's very fragile. But at the same time, like, once you have the mug in your house, you have it for years. Hmm. But getting to that point is a different story. Hmm. Uh, You kind of get used to it. It is... The Potter's motto that it is faster to throw it out than to try to fix it. It's easier to just throw it in the garbage. <laughs> Unfortunately, it, it
0: seems very similar to glass blowing in that way.
2: You know, I've never done glass blowing, but I assume once you mess up with glass blowing, you're done, right? Probably, yeah, like you're like, just done. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I like connecting
1: across episodes or across artistic mediums. So while you were talking about, I was thinking about um, bakers, and I watch. I love those like. Wedding cake TV shows. I know. And how, like, until the cake gets to its final destination, there is no no guarantee that it will get there. So there's things like it's too hot and the icing starts to slide. Or someone slams on the brakes in the car and the whole cake goes flying up towards the windshield.
2: Have you ever seen... The scene in Ace Ventura, where he is delivering the package and <laughs> kicking it down the street. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have had customers send me photos of boxes that it looked like that happened. And oh, they opened it. Oh and gosh. if you package the mug correctly, it's fine. Yeah. But once in a great while, it just it breaks. Right, right. So, you know, you have a customer spend $60 on a mug oh. and it comes broken and you have to be ready to refund or send mm, another product. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> wow. <sighs> yeah, that's
1: stressful to me. <laughs> but I'm glad that it's, um what did you say, the motto? It's like an a, an, an accepted fact that.
2: <laughs> it is an accepted fact that if you start pottery, you will throw out a lot of stuff. And you said you liked connecting episodes. Mm. You know, one of the things that people don't realize is pottery glaze actually glassifies in the kiln. Mm. So it's not just paint. It is minerals. It's silica. Mm. It's cobalt. It's copper. So one of the things that makes you throw out a lot of pottery is when it melts too much Mm. and it turns into glass and then it sticks to the kiln shelf and then you have to pry it off and it like shatters. Oh, no. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, it's fun. It's exciting.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Well, talking about glaze, I'd love love to hear how long it took for you in your process of painting one color, knowing that it will come out looking completely different.
2: That is a lifelong process. <laughs> so, yeah, for anybody not familiar, have you done pottery?
0: Not extensively, but You've done a I've, little bit. I've done a little bit.
2: Yeah. So, because it is chemicals and chemistry um it changes color completely in the kiln so a lot of blue glaze starts out red Mm. or brown or like a purple will start out green um if you use the same glazes over and over again you start getting used to it Mm. i would say i mean i've been doing this about five years now And I am just now finally getting really comfortable with some of the glazes I've been using the whole time. Wow. You know, because you could put them on different thicknesses. You could put them on with different other glazes. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a long time.
0: How does that thickness affect the coloration there?
2: So once the glaze hits a certain temperature, it starts Mm -hmm. forming crystals. And the thicker it goes on, it might have an opportunity to create more crystals. Okay. So if you've used certain glazes or if you have any pottery at home, certain glazes almost look kind of creamy. Yeah. Mm. Like there's certain blues that look like they have like a white, it's called a float. Mm. Um, So the thicker you put it on, sometimes it has a bigger opportunity to create crystals or to create a certain effect. Mm. I love really layering a lot of glaze on. Okay. So, I like that effect. I like drippy glaze. I like runny yeah. glaze. I like stuff that like pools. Um. But yeah, it's interesting because the way I do glazes is I do a slow cool. Okay. So I layer a lot of glaze on, and then I time my kiln so that when it's coming down from twenty to thirty two Fahrenheit. Mm-hmm. It stops at certain points and holds there.
0: Interesting. Hmm.
2: And then there's a certain point where it'll crystallize a little more and make that a lot more vibrant. So for me, I have to do a lot of testing because I can't go off of what the package or the recipe might say it's going to look like. Mm -hmm. Because usually my results turn out pretty different. Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. How um, having a teaching background in this. What is one of the ways that you've communicated that to your students when they're working on, on their projects?
2: There's, <laughs> there's another pottery saying. When you open the kiln, it's either Christmas or Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. Yeah, you're either really happy to see your stuff or you do not recognize it at all. Mm. And the way I communicate it to my students is usually I'll say these particular glazes will come out looking pretty much the same every time. Or we have these glazes that are a little more risky. And I kind of let them make the decision. Mm. And I'll kind of go through the process. Like, um, when you were in my class, you used a lot of celadons. Mm. So they were kind of clear and glassy and kind of like a flat color, those are always going to kind of be those colors. So as students I'll be like, if you absolutely want this color, Mm -hmm. you have to use these particular glazes. Mm. If you want to get a little spicy and adventurous, you can use these glazes, like a float glaze or a crystal glaze. Mm -hmm. And then just be aware there's no guarantee that it's going to look like what you think it's going to look like. Sure. And I have some students that It doesn't look anything like they thought it was going to look like, but they love it. You know, especially when I teach them glaze layering. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'll show them a picture. I'm like, it has a potential to look like this or it has a potential to look completely different. Mm. And uh, sometimes it looks completely different and they're really into it.
0: That's super cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, looking back through your previous works, there's quite the differentiation in color. And hearing a little bit more about the layering of the glaze and the fascination with other worlds and the monsters, I'm starting to put together this difference between more vibrant colors being used for backgrounds and more muted colors being used for the monsters. Is that, is that correct at all?
2: I think you just dove into an uncharted part of my psychology. (laughs) I didn't even. As you were saying that, I'm like, wow, that's true. That's what we're here for. Pick it apart. (laughs) I got to (laughs) go. So the monsters are done. Now, the one that you might have seen isn't fired yet. So he's going to turn out. Um, I like to say that glaze turns out kind of buttery. It's called a satin mm. mat. Okay. So it's not shiny, but it's not dull. But the monsters... So I used to do illustrations with pen and ink. Mm. And it used to be a dip pen that I would draw. So I really wanted my mugs to look like my illustrations. Got it. Right. So when I think of an illustration or a cartoon, I don't think of something very, very, very shiny. Yeah. I think of paper and ink and ink has a little bit of shine, but not a lot once it sinks into the paper. Right. So I really like that satin matte because it's a character, but it almost looks like it stepped out of a storybook. And it looks a little like it shouldn't be there, but it should. Yeah. And it's really interesting you bring that up because I think I was doing that subconsciously. Mm. But, you know, with the other worlds... um, when you think of galaxies, they are very bright and yeah. vibrant and mm-hmm. I really like the like the microscopic details in those shiny glazes. Yeah. And you know, a space you could just keep looking further and further and just see more. So, yeah. definitely. There's a couple glazes that and I don't currently I don't mix my own glazes right now. I okay. would I would like to eventually do that, but right now it's easier to use bottled glazes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's not a hindrance. There are certain glazes that I used to use just on mugs and bowls, and those are vertical pieces. Hmm. You put those on flat pieces and they look completely different. Wow. Like even the layering. Yeah. You know, I was doing a test piece for a class I was teaching and I used two or three glazes I have been using for like three years now Mm -hmm. in the same amounts, the same layering. And it came out of the kiln and I'm like, I've never seen it do this before. Hmm. Wow. It was it was awesome.
0: That's, yeah, that's super yeah. cool to discover something new about the same process you've been doing for years.
2: I know. It's like always yeah. a surprise. Definitely. <laughs> it's almost like, I don't want potters to sound like we're really just into our own art, <laughs> but you have to get to the point where you pull stuff out of the kiln and you're constantly kind of mes- mesmerized by your own work. Yeah. Because if you're not, you're going to get sick of it. It is a lot of work sometimes for... I don't want to say no results because a failure mm-hmm. is still a result, but you really need those constant moments of, wow, my own piece is amazing because you have those other moments where you open the kiln and you're like, well, that's a thousand dollars in the garbage.
1: Yeah. So mm, yeah, there's a lot of space for disappointment. It's sounds, right. <laughs> <laughs> But being able to, hold that finished product is probably very cathartic (laughs) over that period of disappointment.
2: I like when they come out of the kiln and they're still a little warm. It's like fresh baked cookies. (laughs) Just kind of like hold them. (laughs) Soak in that energy.
1: (laughs) I like associating energy with art. And I think that very much fits into what you were saying about the kind of caricature I don't caricatures yeah caricature side of your pieces because they are very personified and I think uh in your Instagram posts that's very evident because you you name them or they have stories or you talked about having your mug smile back at you in the morning it's it is like a little illustration that has stepped off the page and into this world and now exists with you every day. So I really like that about your work.
2: (laughs) Oh, they like you too. (laughs) (laughs) It's really hard to sell those. Hmm. I mean, I gotta, you know, gotta make that bread and butter. But like, when you spend that much time with a piece that has a face and then you have to wrap it up and send it away, like, I miss them. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm just like, goodbye, Winston. He's still here, but, you
1: know. Well, can I jump into the audio description of your Winston piece before we start talking about him? All right. Here we go. I hope I do him justice. (laughs) He has very high expectations. (laughs) I'm glad that we're talking about him as a personified thing because that's how I wrote this, too. So I'm Yeah, I love that. (laughs) So the piece is titled Winston. It is pottery done in 2021, and it is a 16-ounce mug. This wheel-thrown, hand-carved mug with a rounded base depicts a short, cute monster character named Winston. The top half of the mug is Winston's face. He has a yellowish-green skin and two small horns that poke out of the sides of his forehead. He has two almond-shaped, droopy eyes, a blue bulbous nose, and a warbly smile with two little rounded pearly white teeth peeking out of his mouth. On the bottom half of the mug, we can see Winston is wearing a muted red suit with a rounded blue bow tie and three green buttons down the center. His arms wrap around from the sides of the mug, and he rests his clawed hands on his stomach. His hands are also the yellowish-green color with three white-clawed fingers. His white-clawed toes peek out from underneath the base of the mug. The entirety of Winston is flushed with the mug, with the exception of his horns, nose, and toes.
2: Beautiful. Thank you. he would be very <laughs> proud and honored. He actually also has a... The handle is his tail, but I didn't turn him around. Yeah, I was
1: going to yeah. ask uh, ask if he had a handle.
2: <laughs> he does. It's uh, a tail that comes up and then kind of wraps around the back to oh, keep going. Yeah, nice.
0: That's super cool.
2: Yeah, it was actually... Um, one of my friends told me to add the little toes on the bottom, so not every good idea is my idea, you know, because that's not that's not how art works. No, no. absolutely not.
0: Collaborative process.
2: Yeah, um, but because I used to do the monsters with no toes on the bottom, and it looked like they cut off at their torso. Oh. And then I was like, oh. and she was like, Oh, add little toes. And I added the toes and it now it looks like a full creature. Yeah, yeah. So
1: Yeah, it looks like the that's the entirety of his body because it right. gives gives like the the cutoff for it. That's where his feet are. And
2: his underside he has little feet that I carved in, like oh, little toe pads. Oh my <laughs> yeah. goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's awesome.
1: <laughs> that's interesting that you say that because that is unlike a painting, uh, more difficult to depict the entirety of the piece. So when you share that either on Instagram or on your Etsy page or with someone that might be interested in buying it that can't see it in person, do you take multiple photos like front, back, sides, underneath? How does that work?
2: Yeah, photographing pottery itself is challenging Mm -hmm. because you need to depict all the sides of it, Mm -hmm. you know, front, back, handle inside outside bottom and you don't want to warp it at all when you take the image yeah it's very difficult especially to take a picture correctly depicting the size of the handle Mm. which sometimes you have to just write the description out because Mm. usually handles actually look way bigger in photographs and it tends to put some people off because it looks like it has like a humongous oversized handle Hmm. So you really have to learn to tilt it and turn it and take it from all these different angles or put it next to a French press and get the lighting (laughs) correct and just... Because um, people are awesome, but sometimes they don't read product descriptions or sometimes they just don't... It's hard to say, like, this is a 16-ounce mug, but sometimes Mm -hmm. you think you know what 16 ounces looks like. Mm. right? So you'll say... um, like, this is a 12-ounce mug, and I have a lot of reactions where people will buy a 12-ounce mug and get it, and they'll be like, well, this looks like an 8-ounce mug. But it's just because I think we've become very accustomed to, like, what you think a mug should look like from the store. Mm.
1: Oh, okay.
2: You know, just like a typical.
1: Right.
3: So, yeah, right.
2: yeah Just it, it is challenging sometimes yeah. to correctly depict it. Yeah, because that's a huge cup of coffee,
1: those mugs from the store. I don't even think I realized how much, like, (laughs) until I poured it this morning, I poured coffee from my mug into, like, a travel cup, and I was Uh like, "How? these don't even look like the same size. Like, how does this mug fill up? And I was like, I drink this much every
2: day? Like, oh my god. (laughs) Yeah, there's actually, um, it's funny when I'll have 16-ounce mugs out, and people are like, oh, I need a 16-ounce mug. And I'm like, it, and it turns out they've been drinking like a 20, 24 ounce. Oh. Do you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah, it just, yeah. But I drink out of like these teeny tiny little cups at home. So mm-hmm. it's also hard for me to picture it because I look at a 16 ounce cup. I'm like, wow, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. But it's not. So. Yeah.
1: That's funny. There's someone I used to work. With, well, I'll just say it's Anne who was one of our former guests. Yeah. Um, When I worked for her, like she would always carry around because she has many artist friends, these little handcrafted mugs with uh-huh. her coffee or tea or water and I, I was always thinking like that's not a lot of coffee like if you're carrying that around all day like you're gonna have to refill that constantly but it's probably a lot holds a lot more than I thought just by looking at it I always thought like isn't she worried about breaking it or isn't she worried <laughs> about something happening
2: to it and it's like you know it's meant to be used you're right it is meant to be used I haven't broken Too many of the pieces I bought from other artists, Mm. but I remember which ones I've broken. It's like slow down, slow motion in my mind. Like those mugs hitting the floor and just smashing everywhere. I'm like, okay, well, see ya. I have like an antique glass that I bought. It was
1: like an antique cocktail glass that I bought at the thrift store. And I was like, I don't know if I should use this or not. And then I used it. And the first day, I pulled it out of the sink and it slipped out of my hand and shattered. And same kind of thing. Like I can picture it in slow motion in my brain. Like, "Ah, there it
2: goes. You know, there's actually a Facebook group for that. A support group for people that shatter their dishware. I'm serious. I think there's only like 200 people in it. Oh, I need to be a part of that, I think. But it's like the Mug Buddies saying goodbye group or something. (laughs) Because there's Mug Buds and then there's like Mug Buds rest in peace or something. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, that's so funny.
2: You start getting into a lot of weird niche groups when you do pottery. So,
0: Yeah. I, w- I was going to ask who the primary people in that group are. Are they other potters?
2: It's whoever collects coffee mugs. <laughs> nice. Yeah. That's so funny. I actually got like a lifelong customer from that group.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
2: So it's like some random other dude where I was like, hey, mug buds, here's the mugs. And he's bought like four things for me since. Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
0: I feel like that's a bittersweet way to find a a loyal customer is someone who's known to break the pieces they own.
2: I don't want to (laughs) know. I don't want to (laughs) know. It's
0: like, you'll keep giving me money, but who knows how long these pieces are going to (laughs) last.
2: Sometimes I get these messages Like, hey, me and like my ex broke up, and they took my pottery, and I'm like, (laughs) you're getting people's like life stories all around these mugs. No, listen, I overshare all the time, (laughs) so if you're gonna be like, I lost all my mugs in the divorce, I'll give you like the discount, you know, the divorce (laughs) discount, the divorce discount.
0: Oh my goodness! Uh. Well, it's it's also interesting how connected people get to something that they use habitually. Oh, I my mean, God, if, absolutely. I mean, if you have your favorite mug, I mean, that's traumatic when that thing breaks. Yeah.
2: There are mugs that I used to be very emotionally attached to. Yeah. That I got a different mug, and it's almost like me and this other mug drifted apart. Wow. It's like we grew. We grew <laughs> apart. And it's just, it's so weird. Yes, you do. You get a connection. It goes through... What I think people kind of forget, though, is that, you know, objects do remind you of things, they remind mm. you of certain times. Yeah. So if there's a mug I was using during a very difficult, emotionally unstable part of my life, mm. and I go to pick it up when like you're like in the clear, you're going good, things are good. You pick up that mug, you pour a cup of coffee or tea into it, hot cocoa, whatever you drink, and you look at it and you're like, wow, the last time I drank out of this reminds me of, like, really bad times. I don't know if maybe that's just the potter in me or if maybe other people don't operate like that, but I have, like, mugs that I've used through very specific times in my mm. life. Sometimes, I've, like, I've given it at the thrift store or traded out, but, like, there's other people that have contacted me. They're like, look, I really liked this mug, but I gave it to a friend because I, I couldn't use it anymore. It reminded me of things, like... There was a monster I used to make called Jasper, Mm -hmm. and one of my friends who does leather work bought it for themselves, and eventually they were like, I thought I was going to be connected to Jasper, but it's just like, I'm just not connected to Jasper, (laughs) and then they like... They're like, do you mind if I sell it? That's the first pottery I ever known of that got a resale, which oh, is awesome, by the way. Wow. I said, Yeah, resell Jasper. <laughs> so they resold Jasper and they bought a different mug for me that they connected with more. Oh,
0: hmm. that's so cool. Yeah.
2: So they like it's really interesting to hear how people connect with it or don't.
0: Yeah. Taking what you just said about using different mugs at different points in time and different emotional swings. Do you bring the form of any of those mugs or the colors into your own work?
2: Yes. There is a mug that I got at the thrift store. It's handcrafted. It has a signature on the bottom. Now, there is a Facebook group for pottery identification. Nobody can identify it. Wow. Usually that means it was student work or maybe somebody that dabbled for a little bit, like Hobby Potter. Mm-hmm. But it used it's from the 70s it's light blue it has like satin matte buttery colors so like it's not shiny shiny and it has a little moon and a cloud and a star and i just remember i went to the thrift store and found it and i was there with friends and there's something about that little mug that's like very soothing and happy and reminds mm. me of good times and i just remember looking at it like wow this is just Everything about this has really good energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I found like these Amoco satin matte colors, shout out Amico. <laughs> Um This isn't sponsored, but it could be. <laughs> um, when I found those, I'm like, you know, those colors weren't around back then. Those That person probably mixed their own glazes. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm like, this reminds me of like the energy and happiness of that cup. Mm. Um, there's some other ones that I've bought there's this really beautiful blue cup I bought from a local potter and she mixed her own glazes. And I remember I was at a show and I hadn't started doing pottery yet, but I really, really wanted to start doing pottery and I had already started collecting handmade stuff. So that very particular bright blue actually reminds me of her. Mm. And I don't know where she is now, but like whenever I see that particular shade, like, I remember that interaction. I remember being like, wow, I really love this glaze. And she was like, thanks, I, I mix it myself. And, like, I remember her husband standing there. You know, it just, it's that color and that glaze is, like, that whole memory. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. So whenever I use that sort of blue in my work now, like, I think mm. about that person.
0: Yeah. That's super cool. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Her glaze aura or something. Her glaze aura.
1: <laughs> <laughs> You become a glaze aura reader.
2: I think yours might be orange. Orange. Yeah, I'm that's just, funny. Just harvesting, I guess. That's funny. I've
1: yeah. always hated the color orange, and then I dyed my hair red, and now I have all these orange clothes. I have this <laughs> orange sweater that's laying on the chair, and here I have orange glasses. I don't know what happened, you guys.
2: <laughs> we change. Yes. People change. We change.
1: Yeah. I used to hate the color pink, and now I love it. It's funny because I think you associate color, like you said, you associate colors with very specific things. And I always associated the color pink with bubblegum. And I hate the smell of bubblegum because when I was a kid, the dentist, whether you were a kid or not, when I was a kid, but like even I think my mom at some point had mentioned that he gave her this was like the fluoride that they had was bubblegum and like he wouldn't give you mint. So now I associate, so for the longest time I associated bubblegum the taste, the smell with the dentist and the color pink. And then it's like, well, I don't like the color pink anymore. So like those such things that they like put thing. in your mouth and you yeah, have to hold they, them there. and they like rub it around with the little like rubbery yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's so, so such a specific thing that has ruined the color for me, which is kind of funny.
0: That has like a synesthetic tinge to it. Yes, it does.
2: <laughs> 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 it's so funny. Now I love like that Pepto-Bismol pink. I love it. Do you think anything anything
1: you're working on now that has that color to it?
2: Yeah, there's a little monster I have and he's holding a heart. Oh, He's not fired yet, but I was originally going to have him holding a broken heart. But then I thought this is so funny because this is how I think. I'm like, what happens if somebody buys this and then like they get dumped (sighs) and then they look at this monster holding a broken heart and then, like, they have to send this monster to the Monster Pound, Monster <laughs> ASPCA, because I can't look at him anymore. Oh. He ends up in the top shelf of their exactly, cabinet with exactly. his little broken heart.
0: So you didn't make that one with the intention of giving it the divorce discount?
2: <laughs> if any listener needs the divorce discount, type... Two. No. <laughs> I do. Please don't purposely break any mugs you purchase from me. But I do secretly give, like, a discount to people who purchased a mug from me and then accidentally. Break. It's not a huge discount, but it's like a heal your broken heart discount hmm. because really you-, you can't. With how many materials go into it, it's very hard to give discounts on pottery. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, that's one of the things that I try to educate people about. They're like, well, if I buy four mugs, do I get a discount? Hmm. And, all right, this is just for you and your listeners. This is a secret. I had to (laughs) price my stuff a little higher so that when they ask for a discount, wink, wink, sure, you can have a discount. But but it's just (laughs) the way it works because at that point, if you think about it, and I had other potters tell me this, if I can't afford to give a discount, the margins are too slim. Mm. And I think that's very important for anybody who's doing art or crafts or selling anything handmade. I think we're so used to operating on, you know, selling it just enough, just Mm. enough money. Yeah. So, you know, just... That went on a completely different tangent. But, you know, that's it is important to think, like, you're going to have so many customers. Some people can't afford stuff. Some people are going through hard financial times, hard emotional times. Um, And sometimes... If I see somebody looking at my work and they really, 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 really love it, mm-hmm. and I know they are not going to be able to buy it, maybe once in a while that mug leaves.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows?
1: That's fascinating because, and we've, this has come up in many episodes in different yeah. facets, but, uh, I don't think other industries operate that way because it's not like if you were at the grocery store and they knew you were having a really hard financial time that they would give you your box of Cheez-Its for however much off. But that's all structured into our socioeconomic status of the artist doesn't have as much
2: value, which sucks because... (laughs) One of the things... So there's this incredible Potter named tim c and he really encourages a lot of people to price their work correctly
3: Hmm.
2: you know he doesn't like to use the words you know like fair because really what what does that mean fair is what you think it is for yourself and um people come and they're like oh my god thirty dollars for for a mug but they will absolutely go out to eat and spend $30 on something that's gone in 15 minutes. Yeah. So I think it's our job too as artists to gently educate people. And I think it's easy to get upset. I think it's easy to get negative and aggressive and feel hurt. Um, but when someone comes up to my table or my Etsy shop or whatever, you know, and they're like, wow, that's a lot of money. You know, you just, you have to remind them like, you're gonna have this for a lifetime. You know, what is streaming a movie now is like $30 sometimes. A mm-hmm. uh, pair of shoes that lasts like a year or two is 60 bucks. you know. So I don't like to draw too many comparisons, but you're right, because you don't go to the grocery store and you're like, wow, I'm going through a really hard time. Nobody cares. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what makes art different sometimes in the rest of the commercial world. It's hard to not care you know, you put so much of your heart and soul into it that you feel empathy for people who look at your product Mm -hmm. and they really, really want it. And I can't always do that or else, because the grocery store is not giving me a break either. Right? you know, (laughs) I can't be like, you know, sorry, um, UGI can't pay my bill because I was nice to a lot of people. But yeah. Well, from an employment standpoint, too, that's your
1: job, right? Right. And if I'm working at a restaurant or if I'm working at in retail, I expect a certain wage for my work, exactly. right? Exactly. And to price something fairly for your time is important.
0: We saw that a lot of ceramicists and potters either work with clay or porcelain. And you've mentioned a lot about clay. Is there a reason that you're drawn more to clay than porcelain?
2: Porcelain is a type of clay. Hmm. Um, now, I don't I've only tried to play with porcelain a couple times. I've never gotten it to the firing stage. Okay. Porcelain is a type of clay that is usually high fire, which means it goes to a very high temperature. And you can make it so, so thin that, you know, that's what basically what teacups are made out of. Mm. Very delicate, very thin. You can cut porcelain so that when light shines through it, you can see the light kind of... Wow. Glowing through the carved texture. Okay. I like a more sturdy product, mm. which is why I tend to not do it. I could do porcelain, um, but I kind of like – I like things that are earthy, maybe a little more, you know, texture, a little hardier. Yeah. So it's just – it's not quite my medium.
0: That makes sense.
2: Um, I don't like to, to gender art, but I've I've heard, like, a lot of guys say – that they kind of like my pottery because they're not afraid to like set it down
3: mm-hmm.
2: in case you're like really rough handling, you know, that whatever. But yeah, I just, I really like stoneware. I work with stoneware. It's just good. It's yeah. nice and sturdy. It's simple. And the clay body also really affects the clays. So the clay body, when it's firing, it off gases. Mm-hmm. So chemicals and gases come out of it. And I really like the mid-range stoneware that I use right now because the way it off-gases, it doesn't really cause a lot of problems. Like it doesn't cause blistering or, you know, it's just, it's easier.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah.
2: Hmm.
1: I'm I think I'm fascinated by the clay you going to pick up a thousand pounds of clay at a time because i I never really thought about that. I had a professor and a ceramics professor in college that um he did a lot of his stuff is made out of um clay that's harvested in New Jersey. so like he'll go and like harvest this like red soil clay and then process it himself right and make it into something. And then there's this other Alaskan artist that I really like, and the soil and the clay there is really silty because of all the glacial runoff. Yes. So her stuff looks really different too. And I never really thought about like, of course, there's pre-mixed clay because I've been to pottery classes and I didn't mix it myself. I didn't go dig up clay in the backyard. Um, but when you were saying that, I was like, what, is there like a milkman that like drops off processed clay or something I for would you? love
2: that. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah, you can um process your own clay. For me that would be something that I would do in the future, probably just as an experiment. Mm-hmm. The thing is when you dig clay out of the earth, you don't know what temperature you need to fire it to. Right. You don't know if it's going to be so vitrified. Vitrification is when if you put liquid into it, liquid's not going to come back out. Hmm. And every clay body has a different temperature I shouldn't say temperature. It has a different cone that it needs to hit to do that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So the cone is the heat work that goes into the clay. People mistake it to be what temperature the clay needs to hit, but that's not the whole story. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you did clay out of the earth, you don't know anything about it. And that's just not my path right now. But it's really cool when people do it.
1: Yeah. Well, that's a whole nother layer of work to making right. something, a huge layer. That's like some people stretch their own canvases and some people don't. Some people mix their own paints and some right. people don't. It's, that's a huge expansion on whatever all the time that you're already dedicating to creating a piece. So, Yes. It's cool that there's a, a an option to not have to do those things. Oh,
2: <laughs> you can technically for studios buy the powdered dirt and mix it with water but again when you're teaching classes or producing a lot of work you also have to like remember that's a lot of work on your body yeah you know so one of the other things about pottery and ceramics is that people kind of forget when they get shocked at the prices Mm -hmm. is you're wearing out your joints so it's blood sweat tears and arthritis (laughs) you know going into that yeah, I stopped long distance running a couple of years ago. Yeah? In, yeah. In service of making pottery? Oh, <laughs> just didn't want to get up at 4 a.m. anymore. Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, the charm of uh, now I wake up at 4 a.m. and just, you know, watch clay.
0: I've noticed with a lot of more contemporary ceramicists and potters that they've dove more into this uncanny and strange the works are very very strange surreal and I I see a bit of that in your work as well just a bit yeah
2: (laughs) yeah absolutely so I still like to keep myself functional yeah I said myself that's so funny I like to keep my work functional I also like (laughs) to keep myself functional but I battled with that for a long time because one of the potters that really inspires me is katie marks okay another seattle artist also aka silver lining ceramics i bought one of her mugs in i think 2016 it was 40 dollars, and it sat in her shop for three weeks wow like i put it in my cart and it sat there where i'm like do i really want to do i really want to buy this don't i her mugs are now like 175 to 200 dollars, and you can't get one because she posts it and they're gone in a couple minutes. Wow. It's crazy, but her stuff, honestly, I think really forged a path for pressing the limit on what we think of as pottery versus what is just art that sits there. Mm. You know, she sculpts a lot of crystals, she she does a lot of stuff and there was a lot of potters that came after her were doing i don't want to say mimicry but like a lot of people that were you know they started doing a lot of sculptural stuff a lot of adding a lot of things on um and there's a lot of really cool potters that i like i wish i would have brought a list but maybe i'll have you tag like 25 people after this as a surprise <laughs> um but you know sometimes for us you're making you're making item after item after item Sometimes you just want to get weird. Sometimes you just want to press the limit and you have to push the boundaries to see when you've gone too far. Mm. So there's mugs of mine you're never going to see because like, instead of just making a monster, I went, I put all of this stuff sticking out of it. And then, you know, you start using it. I test one mug out of every batch. Like I use Mm you'll never know which one it is because I wash it before I sell it. But we do. <laughs> if you don't know that about potters, we have used some of your stuff before it gets to you, not to gross you out, but like, you know, we sanitize it and stuff. But yeah. you have to, or we'll make one just for us and use it. Yeah. But it definitely starts going that direction because you're sitting there and you're like, well, you, you still have to create for yourself and not just for everybody else. Mm. But also ceramics is way more accessible than it was even 10 years ago. You know, there's a lot more studios. There's a lot more. There's YouTube. People are now aware you can buy pottery wheels in a kiln and hook them up at your house. <laughs> and there's a lot more. Um, there's there's more voices. There's more voices in pottery. You know, there's a really cool potter named Sister Tomato. Okay. And they're, I don't know where they're from, but they do like these New York... Snoopy crossover mugs and like they're so cool and it really blends together that like boundary pushing with the functional and there's a lot of art like you know there's people that come from different backgrounds and they do like graffiti art Mm -hmm. on their pottery and it's definitely a lot more voices I think lends itself to this phenomenon of pottery looking weirder. Hmm. In a good way.
0: Yeah. That's super cool.
2: Yeah. I yeah. I love whenever like I'll just like browse through Instagram searching for like new styles. Yeah. And I don't know, just really cool stuff. There's so many voices in ceramics, so many styles that aren't being heard, so many styles that we haven't seen or may never see mm. um, that, you know, sometimes just doing something really wacky can like inspire other people in this art form to kind of push it. Push the boundaries and make something new. Definitely. That's fascinating because historically, the
1: root of ceramics is necessity, right? Right, exactly. Like you're making it because you
2: need dishware. (laughs) Right. Ceramics didn't used to be, people used to not be as attached. Hmm. Like you look at, and of course, in different parts of history, of course, there were vases and embalming jars Mm -hmm. that were meant to last. But typically pottery was for cooking and and drinking tea Mm. and it didn't matter if it broke because you would just make another one. Mm -hmm. And a lot of pottery that used to be used to be functional wasn't even high fired Hmm. and it used to be very absorbent. So there's still a lot of traditional pottery where like it'll soak up liquid while you're drinking out of it because who cares? Yeah, yeah.
1: One of my favorite things at museums and I'm thinking specifically of... um, in philadelphia there's a museum space that's attached to the liberty bell because there was a house there but something that was found in the underneath of the house during excavation was basically their trash chute and they have found <laughs> thousands of pieces of broken pottery down there because it breaks and, and then it goes right, in the exactly. trash chute or it goes in the latrine or whatever and th- and they They're finding that, and they're piecing it back together, and it's just fascinating because it's like, that was their garbage, and now it's in a museum case for that hundreds of thousands of people look at every year, and it was because it was a functional piece, and once it was no longer functional, it goes in the trash, and now I'm sitting here talking about, I'm too afraid to use my mug because... Listen, I'm worried about breaking it. It's so interesting. Your broken piece
3: of
2: pottery might be in a museum one day. You know what? Maybe it will. Yeah, exactly. Next time I break something, I'll just bury it in the backyard and be done with it. (laughs) I feel like it's every potter's nightmare because there was another thing they dug up for a museum where it was like an old place that a potter used to make his work. And it was the stuff that didn't come out right. Oh. So he like buried it. And then they dug it up and put it in a museum. Like, could you imagine you throw out like an ugly piece of art? You're like, oh, this is hideous. I hope nobody ever sees this. <laughs> and like hundreds of years later, there's it's like in a museum. Two weeks ago, I went to
1: Southside Film Fest. Uh-huh. And there was this great short film. And if I get the title wrong, I'll have you put it in the description. All right. But I believe it was called The Book of Damien. Very well made. And again, I'll have to credit the the filmmakers in the post. But... um. It was like this emo kid that he went home and wrote in his journal like he had gotten beaten up by these jocks at school and he went home and wrote in his journal and then his parent came in into the room so he threw the journal out the window and it sunk in the mud and then sunk into the ground and then the next part of the film is that there is like this alien society, like thousands and thousands of years later <laughs> that dug up Damien's journal. And then they're like, oh, this is like our Bible. So then they're like, "Oh my no, gosh. no jocks must be nice to people. Oh. Like <laughs> black is the best color. And like all this is so funny. So that I was trying to piece while well, you guys were talking, I was trying to piece it together. I'm like, what is this making me think of? And it was the book of Damien. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so funny!
2: <laughs> I have to, I have to check that
1: out. Yeah, I'll, I'll, and again, I'll uh, credit the filmmakers in the description of the episode because it was one of my favorites, obviously, because it stuck in my head. That's yeah. so but funny, hysterical, hysterical short animation. Oh
0: my goodness!
1: But yeah, that idea of throwing, throwing out, right? Stuff. <laughs> it just appears in a museum. Yeah, <laughs> that's so fun. I hope now, I want to just like very stuff very random right. stuff so <laughs> can i give a weird look into my personal life really quick?
3: go for of it of course
1: so, <laughs> this this conversation also came up with my brother a week or two ago <laughs> so my mother grew up in alaska okay she's not from there originally but she spent a lot of time there and grew up there and most of her family still lives there and when my brother and sister and i were kids my aunt and uncle would send like fun stuff so they hunt and they had um a moose jaw like a moose jaw like you do like you do you know just casual um but we were on like the phone or whatever with my aunt and uncle and they were saying like oh I want to we were talking about show and tell for school or something and they're like oh we have something that would be like really good they didn't say what it was and they mailed it to the house and it shows up and it's like a moose jaw and so, like, my brother took this in for show-and-tell, and he wrote, like, in Sharpie on it, like, Brad. And, <laughs> and then, like, took it into school for show-and-tell. And, tell. and that, was, that was that. So, fast forward 20 years later, um, we're helping my parents clean out the ba- their basement, and Brad finds the moose jaw. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to go bury this in the backyard. So, in, like, thousands and thousands of years, people are digging, and they're like, what the is a moose jaw doing in the middle of central Pennsylvania. <laughs> and <laughs> it's why does it Brad? Say Brad? It's, it's, it's Brad. Now. Yeah, so. <laughs> oh, I'm very interested now in the concept of burying things uh, just so that they show up in a museum someday.
0: <laughs> oh, my goodness.
1: Interesting. We could. We could do it. We
2: could do a Lehigh Valley Arts podcast time capsule. <gasps> oh, that's
0: Wait. a good idea. I'm going to write that down. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I got this... Um. Oh, I still have to, I still have to send it out. There was a kid that I guess used to live at my address. Hmm. And I guess in like fourth or fifth grade, maybe, I don't know, eighth grade, they had them write like a time capsule letter to themselves. But then I've been getting mail for him to like go to college. And then I also got his time capsule <gasps> letter and it has like oh. a Pokemon card in it. Um, It's not worth anything. I <laughs> looked it up, but it's just so funny because now I have like this time capsule letter from I don't know. Like, how do I find this person? That's funny. Like, do you want the letter you wrote to yourself when you were in eighth grade? Do you want your Pokemon (laughs) card? That's really funny. Yeah. Well, tying
1: that into something else we were talking about earlier with using mugs as using or not using mugs because they tie back to like a certain period of your life. Are there certain mugs that you keep that you've made because it reminds you of a certain time or because it's something that's too difficult to part with.
2: I have my very first mug that I made. Uh, I should have brought it. It's, it's something I have my very, very first mug. So of course you have like the first pieces you've made, Mm -hmm. but my first mug was really special to me because I wanted to focus on mugs. Uh, One day I'll make a plate. We'll see. We'll see how that pans out. But, (laughs) I have that. I remember the very first cup of coffee I drank out of it. Um, There's a little shot glass I made. There is, and then like sometimes I'll keep something when I, when I'm switching styles Mm. to kind of see the progression, right? Of like this style, this style, this style. Um, And there's like, if I switch clay, Because a lot of people don't know that. So I'll I'll keep, it's almost like a time capsule to myself or a scrapbook of work. This is something a lot of other people don't consider. So if you start pottery, always keep a couple of your pieces for yourself. Because as sad as it is, the earth eventually runs out of certain materials. Mm. So like there's something I kept from this really pretty brown clay I was using. And one day that clay won't exist anymore. Yeah. Or, like, there's certain glazes. One day those glazes won't be able to look exactly like that anymore. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I do tend to keep, like, if I make a batch of something and I really like it, I'll tend to keep one for myself, even if it goes into the back of my drawer. Mm -hmm. Like, just as a... Yeah. I made this. This is what the glazes and clay were like at that time. I have, like, a really weird little test monster I did before I did the other monsters <laughs> it was so sloppy but now like I'm emotionally attached to it oh that's so much yeah. fun yeah yeah that's so, okay though because you get to keep it because yeah you're exactly if you want to exactly <laughs> and the other thing about like I know what my perfect mug shape is I know what I like the handle to be like I mm-hmm. know what the mug I know what like you know the mug should be like so mm-hmm. there was this mug I made That it's just like a white mug with a little B painted on it, and I feel so weird when I use it because I'm like, am I like self-absorbed that my favorite mug is a one like I made it? But (laughs) do you know what I mean? Like it's
1: no, you can be very
2: particular. Yeah, yeah,
1: because you can make it to be whatever. Like you can go to the store and buy ten mugs for research and say I don't like this handle or I don't like the lip on it or whatever. That's very cool. Yeah.
2: So yeah, I do. I have like a myself through the years collection. (laughs) Nice. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, we were talking a little bit and we kept bringing up Philly. And I know earlier you mentioned a connection that you had to Philly.
2: Right. So as you know, 10 to 15 years ago, the arts community was not what it was at the time. I think the Lehigh Valley has grown a lot and I think it was a lot of hard work for us.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I really, I truly appreciate like people that move here and love the Lehigh Valley. I also appreciate you if you move here and you hate it here because <laughs> I understand it's a mixed bag. That's how longtime residents feel about the Lehigh Valley, you know? Yeah. But, <laughs> I agree with that. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, but it, one point i wasn't quite sure what i wanted to do Mm. um i wanted to do pottery but there was it was more difficult to do here you know you needed a certain amount of classes you know it was hard to find studio space so i thought well i moved to norristown because you could take the train into philly there's a ceramic shop there there was pottery schools there's the clay studio which actually the woman who taught me pottery i think works at the clay studio now Mm. I don't know I can't I can't predict if she still works there but it's a really cool place so I tried to move down there and it actually didn't work out and I I don't quite know why I just didn't click I love Philadelphia but there was something about the Lehigh Valley that I thought there's something there and I went back and it's starting to really work out but you know, I like, like, when you hand make stuff, you don't mind putting the hard work in. Mm. And I thought, if I go to Philly, I'm going to be one out of hundreds and hundreds of potters, right?
3: Mm.
2: If I go to New York, who you know, you're going to be, there's going to be already an environment there where everybody's established. It's expensive. It's hard to get your name out there. And it's almost like um, you have to look for opportunity where it looks like there's no opportunity. Mm. Yeah. So I wanted to do pottery, and I thought, you know, by the time I learned this, by the time the arts community gets more established and it's more booming and there's more connections, maybe I'll be in a place where I actually have a little bit of a couple steps forward. And now I'm very lucky and privileged that that worked out for me because now I can teach pottery. And I'm not saying my name is known because that's ridiculous. I'm not. But, you know, people recognize my work sometimes. Mm. And I feel like it worked out. I feel like it worked out. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, one of the things that really kept me attached to the Lehigh Valley, uh, you know the coffee shop Lit?
0: Yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> right.
2: Excellent. Right. So shout out to them. They are amazing. The owners are amazing. The workers are amazing. Everything about them is amazing. And I first started pottery and I went into their shop and I said, you know, do you let people sell stuff here? Because they had a they had a city vibe, you know, before, honest to God, they had a Philly vibe before the rest of this place had a Philly vibe. Oh, yeah. I feel like Bethlehem and the Lehigh Valley has been trying to, like, be little Philadelphia for a very long time. <laughs> but you can't fake that vibe. It has to come very naturally. Sure. Yeah. And they have a very natural, you know— vibe like that and they said sure you could put your pottery out and like I was shocked honestly that they said yes to that because like (laughs) even back then I was like really like you know so I started selling out of there and I thought you know this is how bigger arts communities start is you don't
0: a hundred percent
2: you don't pick up and leave yeah you stay there and you put the work in now sometimes you pick up and leave depending on the situation. That's good too, you know, because there's people that we need people to, you know, appreciate the area. But, you know, I was born and raised here and I'm like, damn, what if we just like connect and put the work in and dig our heels in? And so, yeah, that's why I almost moved to Philly and then I moved back. Also (laughs) rent, but, you know.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I spent some time in New York and rent is a problem <laughs> that's for sure
2: <laughs> i mean there was a point where i remember having this blowout. i'm not even kidding screaming argument because my roommate kept eating my cheese
0: oh my goodness and i was
2: like is this the life i want to live <laughs> <laughs> like you look you know what i mean i'm just like i can't i can't yeah. do this anymore
0: yeah I, I also think there's something to be said All three of us, Elise, you as well, were in Philly, Mm -hmm. and I think there's something beautiful about going there, experiencing what it's like, and then being able to bring that experience back with you home. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Mm. Um, you know, and one of the things I'm about to to plug my own uh, my own desires into your podcast. Do it. 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 Okay, cool. (laughs) One of the things I think we're really missing. Um. As we try to turn this into from a little community, a little community into an actual community, because there's a difference. Yeah, Philadelphia has public transportation. You are right. And I have written to a lot of people. I've been ignored by a lot of people. <laughs> um, I've been told it's not in the budget. I've been told they'd work on it. And then I never heard from them again. <laughs> But it relates to the arts community because I think people don't understand that they want people to come out for Music Fest. They want people to come out for Chris Kindlemart and, you know, the movie festivals and all of these these goings-ons. Mm-hmm. People don't want to try to drive and park and maneuver their way around here. And, you know, you can't go here and go to, like, the the – what's the thing where you go around to the bars and have cocktails and go to- A bar crawl. Yeah, you can't go to bar Mm crawls and go see a movie and go home. And one of the things that I really took back from living in Norristown next to Philadelphia is like, I can get on the train and the train takes me to the bus and the bus takes me to the subway system. Mm -hmm. And clearly that's a lot of levels more than we need here. Mm. But the one thing that's missing, I think, for the arts community is an easier way to get around.
0: Yeah. Definitely. And like
2: you said, like you go to there and you take things back. And that's very important to me right now.
0: Mm.
2: You know, just trying to get people who wouldn't normally come to these things, like gallery openings and showings and events,
3: mm-hmm.
2: an easier way for them to be like, okay, well, I don't have to worry about not drinking. I don't have to worry about driving or parking. Yeah. I can just get on the bus. Yeah, it's it's an accessibility issue, too. Yeah, it's it's a huge accessibility issue. Especially in
1: historic areas where it's mostly street parking, that's
2: not accessible, you know? You know, and this is, it's a lot of a college town, too. And I don't know why they expect college students to walk across that bridge. You know, they're like, well, Mm. the college students can just come across the bridge. And I'm like, sure, that bridge, you know, it's easy for me to walk three miles, That's not fair to tell everybody just walk across the bridge, just park and walk. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like you said, it's an accessibility thing. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. I think we're losing a lot of art students, art customers and and tourists. Yeah.
0: Mm. When you think about New York and Philly, you think about the New York and Philly art scenes, right? right? You don't think about west philadelphia art scene versus central philadelphia art scene versus old historic philadelphia art scene it's philadelphia and here in the lehigh valley we have the eastern art scene the bethlehem art scene and the allentown art scene and the only real way to bridge those together is to make it more accessible right and we're not going to be able to reach that without public transportation
1: that's so on point You heard it here. We're turning this into a public transportation (laughs) advocacy podcast. No, no, no. Not at all. But I I think you're entirely right. Like, that's a huge part of accessible city space is accessible in every sense of the word. And accessing public art, private art, gallery art, museum art is having a way to get there that isn't solely dependent on the personal ownership of a vehicle.
2: Right. And I think... People are afraid of the money they're like well where are we gonna where are we gonna get this into the budget mm. but you know we have a lot of of spaces that are going in that are being built with the purpose to pull in people from other cities to move here mm-hmm. yeah and I'm not gonna get into that because that's a mixed <laughs> bag of emotions but there was a student I had and she was from Chicago and she moved here from work mm-hmm. she moved here with no car and she heard that this was like I don't know why people keep calling us Little Philadelphia sometimes, Hmm. but, like, sometimes they pitch it that way and then people move here. And then she was like, where's the bus? And I'm like, there's no bus. And it's like, she's like, I can't get anywhere. And, like, it's expensive. Oh, you might have to bleep out that company I just said, but yeah. Ride sharing is expensive. Ride sharing is expensive. Thank you. Just put a little beep over there, like I said, or the Spongebob thing where it's like a dolphin noise. (laughs) I specifically request the dolphin noise. No. um,
0: I'll make it happen. Thank you. Thank you.
2: You're you're a real one. Um Yeah, they worry so much about they're like, well, where's the money gonna come from from this? I'm like, yeah, but You have to think about the money you're losing if we're Mm, going to turn art into a money game yeah you know because yeah well to pull because that's what i do to pull
1: accessibility back into (laughs) it is like that's something in my job we advocate help organizations advocate and say like you have to be building that in from day one because otherwise to go back
2: and fix it is more Mm, expensive than not doing it in the first place Have you seen the documentary Crip Camp? Yes. I'm so glad you brought this up because I love this documentary. I've watched it like eight times. Me too. Oh my my gosh. Have you seen it? Yes. It's so good. It is so good. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. It's like, I don't think people realize abled people benefit from accessibility and they don't realize that they do. Yes, absolutely. So, you know, I have friends who are completely capable of parking but they say, I don't go, and I'm I'm dead serious, they say, I don't go to Bethlehem or South Bethlehem. Mm-hmm. I don't go to the art scene because I just can't be bothered to go in that parking deck and walk half a mile.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's not just about people who, quote unquote, need to use the bus. Yeah, absolutely. That concept of design, it's literally called
1: universal design, but designing something universally so that it is equally accessible and everyone has equal experience to something is super important. Yeah, And it's not something that's thought of in city planning because a lot of cities, especially in this area, are historic-based and that was never
2: a concern. Well, there's some... Interesting books on city planning mm-hmm. that I won't get into the topic. <laughs> I was going to say we can get really deep into this, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's. let's oh, I'm going to keep it light, but there's some interesting reasons on why cities are planned the way they are. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. So, Rachel, if people want to find your work or buy your work, where can they do that?
2: So right now, I am Ray Beam Ceramics on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So, it's R A Y B E A M ceramics Mm -hmm. I will post stuff for sale you can always message me Um, I will be updating my Etsy when I have more product Mm -hmm. so that'll be like a month or two but it's in pottery time so might be two to three months (laughs) and then so Etsy Instagram and Etsy is the same as Instagram Raybeam ceramics Mm -hmm. Um, so that's where you can find my work and I should be at a couple shows if people are doing outdoor shows again but I'm not sure okay uh, you can always feel free to message me. Seriously, I love getting Instagram messages. Very nice. Yeah. And then also follow me on Instagram because I will be eventually announcing that I will be teaching classes again Very in cool. the future, which will be exciting.
1: I highly, as a former student of yours, highly, highly recommend <laughs> any studio or class time with you.
2: So. Excellent.
1: Listen or watch out for that, listeners. <laughs>
2: Yeah, listen and watch out for it.
0: Definitely. Very good. Definitely. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for coming on today. It was a joy talking to you. This
2: was really fun. Thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, I'm glad. Of course. <laughs> and that was our conversation with Rachel Schaefer. Thank you so much, Rachel. It was great talking to you. And I loved the anecdote about opening the kiln and it being Christmas or Halloween. I'm going to use that. I Oh, <laughs> like that's, that. that's So, so funny. So good.
0: <laughs> Well, throughout this episode, we were able to ask some really good questions that dove deep, and Mm -hmm. that is almost entirely because of Elizabeth. Mm -hmm. Now, Elizabeth was supposed to make her debut as a host on the show today, but some unfortunate circumstances did not allow for that to happen. Mm -hmm. So we look forward to that debut coming very soon, however... She did so much research for this episode that was incredibly helpful. We both do our own research, but Mm -hmm. she really dove deep. She was on it. Great job, Elizabeth. Thank you. (laughs) So she spent all day researching and it allowed for us today to ask some really good, really deep and incredibly insightful questions. So thank you, Elizabeth.
1: Thank you. Thank you.
0: We look forward to you making your debut as a host incredibly soon. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the opportunity for this week.
1: Yes. So we had a great time last weekend, actually after the grand opening, heading down to the Bethlehem House Gallery's opening reception. And we would like to share that as the opportunity of the week. So their summer show is open from June 25th to October 2nd. They have a closing reception on October 2nd from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And our guest for next week is actually exhibited in their current summer show. So you'll have to tune in to check it out.
0: Yes, definitely. Yeah, I am very excited for our conversation next week as well. It should Mm -hmm. be a good one. And for all of you listening, please go check out the show because you are – Definitely going to want to see what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. As we conclude today's episode, we want to thank you all for tuning in again this week. It was a great conversation and we'll see you next week.
1: See you next week. Bye.